There's a reason why no, there's a reason why very few people have that technology. <laughs> it's cuz it'd be like where's where's uh, Johnny was working on his new motor. Well, where's Johnny? <laughs> somewhere between here and Alpha Centauri. Maybe a lot of different somewheres between here and Alpha Centauri. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. It was uh... a flash and a boom. That's all we know. Hi, this is Stephanie Watson, also known as Jacori. Welcome to Gen X Replay's After the Show podcast, where a guest and I discuss the spoiler-heavy details of a TV show or movie that we've just indulged in. In this episode, Hoot joins me again as we cover Episode 8 of the new series Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. Hi, this is Jacori. And this is Hoot. And we are back talking Picard... Star Trek Picard, this time episode 8, called Broken Pieces. Super excited, because I keep saying every new episode is my favorite, but it's true, every every new, every new episode is my favorite, because it just I keeps gotta, getting better and better. It's like the intro to South Park. <laughs> this is our favorite episode. <laughs> it's true. Uh, uh, so before we get started, the in uh, we actually also saw this week's Ready Room before recording this, and in Ready Room, Jonathan Del Arco does confirm that at the end of episode seven, Elnor used Hughes' calling card to signal seven, so that the 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 chip that he touched at the end of episode seven belonged to Hugh. Mm-hmm. So it would be interesting to find out a little bit more about what was going on between Seven and Hugh, you know, discussion-wise, relationship-wise, whatever, in the years leading up to that. You know, what what relationship did they have? How well did they know each other? Yeah, because that's one of the things I was wondering when I, when uh, he found the thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, so somebody left it there. I mean, I was mm-hmm. like, okay. and, and then it makes sense. Yeah. Whose well, it is and all that, so. I mean, they're both uh, former Borg, but they're also both in Romulan space, and she's with the Fenris Rangers who are out there. So, I, you know, the the connection could be multiple layers. It'd yeah. be interesting, yeah. though. Uh, and you were saying you thought we might see Hugh again. Well, if... If anything, then probably in flashbacks. Yeah. In character flashbacks. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just, that's just a hunch. <laughs> Hopefully. I I mean, I certainly would not be sad to see him again. But, you know, it was a very dramatic death scene. And he went out well. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But this one, this episode, this episode is laying it down. This is like... Uh, everything you didn't already know that you needed to know, here it is, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. They, they, I mean, they are kind of wrapping up certain character motivations and yeah. getting down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we start 14 years prior to um, current time, which we know 14 years was also the attack on Mars, right? Mm-hmm. So this is... Right before that event on a planet called Aya, A-I-A, Aya, 
the grief world. Um, and the, the entire episode opens with the voice of O. So not the Commodore O in her uniform, but O in a black robe with a hood with other Romulan women who are in black robes with hoods standing out in a desert in a circle around a ring and she's talking. Uh, I wrote down this quote because I, I thought it was really well constructed. Our foremothers came to this system looking for an answer to the riddle of the eightfold stars. What they found was a storehouse of preserved memories that showed them the grim fate of the civilization that perished here long ago. And later in the episode, we find out that's about 200,000 years. 200 to 300,000, yeah, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in that range. So this is where we meet the actual Jat Vash. And we didn't know, I think, prior to this that they were women that this was like a, a group of women. And now it may be that this particular group was just women, but I mean, I was talking about foremothers and it sounds very matriarchal mm-hmm. in nature, um, which of course we already know another organization of Romulans who are matriarchal, mm-hmm. the Kuatmalat. And wow, that's like, Two opposing philosophies in two very similar types of organizational structures. Mm-hmm. Except one is uh, mainstream and one is underground. Yeah, the one one is out in the open with the philosophy of being honest, and the other is hidden behind the existing shadows of the Tal Shiar, which was already secretive, mm-hmm. <laughs> operating in as much secrecy as possible. Well, but also just the, uh, the, the, the there's the ritualistic nature of, of that scene, I think, mm-hmm. but, but also just what it lays down. Like in the, when things start happening and they happen real fast. Yeah. And it's like, wazow, you know, people, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. She calls it the admonition. Um, So there's some type of device on the planet. That either shows them, it shows them apparently memories of what the other, the the forebearers, their foremothers. The the previous civilizations. Right. Like, is it apparently it's a memory repository. So this is their memories of the end of their civilization. Yeah, and but like all, like that's what I wonder though. Is it like it's like you know Tony's memories, you right, know, like right. like we, he was the only brain we had when the end came, and that's all we got. <laughs> it's this just, is, just this what is what Tony this is what Tony remembers about <laughs> the end of the world, <laughs> you know. The, oh. So, or is it like all of their memories, you know? Right, the whole civilization, like feel, feeling an entire civilization's death scream in your head, right. Right. And some of them start, you know, losing it. Yeah. And that happens, like you said, super fast. It's, But then we also saw the response that Agnes Gerardi had with the mind meld that O gave her mm-hmm. and those images and how it impacted her emotionally. Mm-hmm. So that was just a fraction of what 
these Romulan women were experiencing. Right. And, uh, yeah. So Rizzo is there. Life-changing stuff. Yeah, Rizzo is there. And she, of all the people, has the least pronounced reaction to to this. Uh, She definitely is emotionally affected. You You see tears in her eyes and a passion to right, you know, to set things right and do, do what's necessary to, you know. But she doesn't lose control of her emotions. Exactly. It's very Vulcan. Yes. Yes. It's very Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, from like, like that, that central philosophy from a different direction. Yeah. You know, sort of an idea, but. Um, it makes me wonder if Rizzo and Narek might be half Vulcan because they do mention that O is half Vulcan. Yeah. And they did mention that the I can't remember the character's name, but the the redheaded Vulcan, that, Ramda, Ramda, mm-hmm. who was also the assimilated, the yeah. re- rehabilitated assimilated Borg uh-huh. that had uh, recognized Soji as the the destroyer. the destroyer. Yeah. So now this piece of the story comes in. She was there. She saw these visions. She, uh-huh. you know, she is part of that. You know, before we were like, how would she know this? Why would she know this? Right, Whatever. Right. Um, but now it's, okay, here's how she knows. <laughs> right. And, and you know, apparently, you know what, like 80%, well, no, 80, 80% of her class failed. Like 80, <laughs> 90. Well, they just decided to uh, bash just, their heads with rocks or, or shoot, shoot themselves, themselves uh, because apparently it was just a tear their faces off. It was just too much for them existential uh, angst wow just amazing like existential angst she to tore the, her hair out ramda the, did yeah uh so yeah but we also get the relationship there that yeah. rizzo calls uh her auntie um and then when she's speaking to her when we flash back to current time and she's speaking to her laying there on the table she mentions the the backstory of uh, this is someone who took her and Narek in when her their parents died, mm-hmm. uh, and that she was probably a bit unstable <laughs> before that. <laughs> uh, well, that's yeah. what I mean. Is the unstable before that might have would might have been before whatever happened, like with the uh, the glowing the- table. Yeah, yeah, I I can't quite tell. I think Rizzo was saying that uh, that she was surprised she even decided to uh, endure the admonition because she even prior to that was not the most sane person in the mm. world. You know that crazy aunt uh, mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So that, well, that, that would be the thing been... though. It would be like be like, ah, oh, there's this conspiracy theories. It makes me <laughs> need to go out and get all the toilet paper. You know, whatever, uh, and it's like, no, okay. Here's where the tr- here's the truth. Yeah. And they tell you the truth, and your little brain just banana shakes it, and just mm-hmm. you're done. You're just mm-hmm. like, wow, <laughs> like the truth. Okay, you can't yeah. handle the truth. Well, sometimes that's true. Apparently, eighty percent of her classmates, like we have a very low graduation rate. <laughs> 
into the Zatbosh. Zatbosh. You will learn the secrets of the universe. We have a 20% graduation because most of them keep killing themselves and losing their damn minds. Uh, well, uh, another couple of important things that came out of that particular thing with Ramda, um, Rizzo definitely seems to have emotion for her. Like, it's not... Like, she cares for her. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out in the way that she spoke with her. Even though they weren't... It wasn't a two-way dialogue, but it was very clear that there was an emotional connection there. So I'm guessing Rizzo found a way to take Ramda with them when they left the cube later. I should hope so, anyway. <laughs> I don't remember seeing her leave the cube, did we ever see her leave the cube? We saw Rizzo kind of transport out. We did? Yeah, when the X-Beasts were attacking her. Oh, yeah. okay. And that's right before Seven says they all left. So so she would know at that moment that the cube was secure. And so she did bail. Okay. Yeah. The last thing I remember seeing was her getting the dog piled. But... Yeah. Yeah. It was right at the end of that. You saw like a tiny flash and I assumed that that flash was a transport out. Uh, just, because then right after that you see the ships leaving and then Seven saying that everything's secure. The, I'm, I'm, the, the, the ship's going to warp. I'm, that's mm-hmm. actually making me kind of happy. Just the imagery of it. Just like, <laughs> yes. Done. But the other big piece of this, and it comes out a little bit more in later conversations, is the fact that it's those images. Well, I, I guess it does come out right there at the beginning because Rizzo recognizes that uh, Ramda is the one that broke the cube. Yeah. With her thoughts. With her visions. Those visions. Well, that's one of those things that I was thinking about. Um, I've been thinking about ever since they, they showed us the cube. Mm-hmm. The idea of what could break a cube. And then we think about, well, let's look in the, the Star Trek East, you know, the Star Trek canon. Mm-hmm. And think about what's broke the cubes. Uh, when Hugh went back to a cube as an individual. Uh-huh. And it kind of like in you know like well infected it yeah. to to a sense of that individuality. And so to protect and, and apparently and this was what was established in those episodes because those were the episodes that included lore. All right, right. Um well, not directly. The the first episode was the one where they were thinking about Picard was thinking about using Hugh as a Basically, a weapon of mass, dest- a biological weapon of mass destruction. Right, exactly. Where he was going to send Hugh back with this program that was going to infect the entire collective mm-hmm. and destroy them, right? So, and it, it was a big controversy when that came out, I remember, because there was the debate on the ethics right. of doing that. Yeah. And, you know, in the end, he decides not to. He recognizes that he's becoming an individual, and, you know, they decide to send him back. And one of those things that Picard says, you know, the, the, the final uh, speech of the episode, you know, is something about, you know, Hugh's humanity will infect the Borg and perhaps be more insidious than any virus that they could come up with mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently the Borg have quarantine protocols. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hugh goes back to his cube the collective recognizes that this cube, okay, this cube is now infected. Mm-hmm. Like this individual's program is now disseminating through the collective in that cube. 
cut the cube off, it's done. It's out there. It quarantines Ping. itself. It, it essentially either it, it well, it, either it quarantines itself or the collective quarantines it from them. No, yeah, true. Or, but then again, is there, it's the Borg. Is there it's, any it's difference? It's one entity, yeah. <laughs> it's one entity exactly. going, okay, you're, you're done. Mm-hmm. But then, the, you know, the, the drones have to do something. Yeah. And so in the case of Hugh, that was when Lore comes along. They didn't know how to run their, they didn't even know how to run the ship. Uh, Lore comes along, unites them, sort of recollectivizes them with mm. it using his emotion chip as a that he stole from Data. Right, right. You know that sort of thing. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of backstory that could go into this, but with Hugh, it's uh, God, where's it? it was the idea of the Borg getting infected, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. now we're wondering what. You know, that that was already been established long mm-hmm. ago. So now we've got the ant mm-hmm. with the incredibly traumatizing <laughs> memory of a thousand dead folk in mm-hmm. her head. Yeah. And she gets assimilated. Mm-hmm. And the Borg is just like, but what? Nope, you're done. Cut this cube off right now. <laughs> Thinking about that and the fact that she was Jacques Vosch. She not only had the admonition images in her head, but she had been part of an organization bent on destroying synths. Mm-hmm. So I had wondered also how much that had infected them, that, that philosophy, that, that goal. Um, I don't think the Borg like absorbs the goals of the individual, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that way, it it kind of has one goal to assimilate um, and and bring things into its collective. But I, I don't know that it has an outward goal other than its own survival and assimilation. So I, I don't know if uh, if assimilating a Jacques Vosch who has that personal goal mm-hmm. uh, affects the the collective in any way. No, it seems like it probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Um, unless there was something useful to that. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it in terms of Hugh and his individuality, you know, that that also reflected kind of personal goals as well. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, after we get through all that opening sequence, um, and all all that backstory, just right at one time that this is just the start of the fire hose of information we get uh elnor's hiding out in hughes quarters i think they said or or something like that um being pursued by the romulans seven shows up and asks hugh what's going on and elnor hugs her and the first thing that popped in my head is you know, he's he's fighting off these Romulans, first of all, in his, you know, <laughs> what would you call it? Ninja Nun style mm-hmm. is what you call it. <laughs> his warrior style. And then suddenly he hugs Seven when he sees her. It's like this warrior with the mentality of a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that way anyway. Well, Vulcans and Romulans do live longer, so maybe it's, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe in a sense he is kind of just 
a 12 year old and <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the in the sense of Romulan and Vulcan developmental how they develop well and we don't know there there could be history there too though I mean the, mm-hmm. the Elnor's mentor uh, teacher you know whatever mm-hmm. uh, master we don't she, know how she, she was well she made yeah that's what I mean she made the statement that you know several of the sisters were out working with the Fenris Rangers yeah you know, to help keep the peace. Right. So, you know, Elnor could have had some contact or history or crossover with mm-hmm. Seven at some point in the past, too. I Potentially. Mean, she may not have been a complete stranger, but either way, you know, he's never been off planet either. That's the mm-hmm. other thing that trips me out is the doctor, you know, the treacherous doctor, mm-hmm. you know, she's never been off planet and she's, you know, not only having her, you know, guilt trip freakouts, but she's mm-hmm. having her off-world freakouts. Yeah. And I think Elnor is too, but he's not having the guilt trip freakouts. He's having more that, you know, okay, this is exactly what the uh, kind of kind of uh, uh, Peter Parker on the Q ship when he when Tony tells him you're an okay great kid, <laughs> you're an Avenger, and you just see the sort of change in his face where he realizes how serious that actually uh-huh. can be. Yeah. And I feel like Elnor is kind of like in that situation mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, and yet, yeah, he's kept the, he's kept the pace. Who knows how many heads he's taken off, <laughs> you know, in his mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. but now he's off planet and he's in a place where you can't swim home. Yeah. <laughs> he's isolated. You know? He's and yeah, by himself in a hostile situation. Yeah. And, you know, well-trained to handle it, but that doesn't... He doesn't know how to... Does does he know how to, you know, operate like an escape pod? Like, well, he can physically handle it. And, and we know he's able to strategize in how he defends himself. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think it goes beyond that. I don't think he has that ability to just strategize, how am I going to escape from here? And, you know, and things like that, the like, where am I going to get a ship? You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> has he ever had to get a ship? You know, steal a ship before? Probably not. We don't know. Maybe that's just part of his training. Like, okay, and now today's lesson, boys and girls, we're going to teach you how to hotwire a starship, <laughs> or a shuttle, or uh, a runabout, or anything. Ferengi, Breen, Cardassian <laughs> doesn't matter. We'll teach you how to do it all. Yep. It's usually only two or three buttons and you're on your way. You just have to know which <laughs> he's, one. He's not Starfleet trained. No. Right, right. <laughs> no, he's just like, he, he like runs in and be like, I know how to fly that. Like, oh, no, no, I don't. No. I oh, what does this button do? Me, 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 me. Where's the off switch? Oh, oh crap. no. And then he draws the sword and cuts the button off. Right. Like, you know, why is it blinking? Uh, we cut to Rios who's... Su- yeah. Rios is stunned by seeing Soji. God, he's so shaken. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they don't tell us why right up front, but it's like we've got a mystery to solve at this point because Rios is, you know, they use that sound design where uh, they make him sound like he's far away and or, you know, muffled sounds um, when Picard <coughs> tries to talk to him. And uh, eventually, he he's able to acknowledge Picard, but he is so like shaken when he sees Soji, and he calls her Jana. So it's uh, 
Well, I like their whole, you know, that was kind of the kickoff for like Rafi's whole investigative. <laughs> her mystery. Yeah, her, her mystery her sequence. Mystery solving sequence. And, uh-huh. um, which also uh, opened up a lot of doors for me, at least with the characters, as far yeah. as all the holograms. It's not just that they're modeled after him. Like, apparently, from what we can, I don't know, d- deduce from all of the different conversations. Mm hmm. Is that when he got the ship, the computer has the holographic system installed all over the ship, apparently. Because mm-hmm. they've got a mechanic and they've got, you know, a doctor and a you know, concierge and <laughs> a weapons officer. You know, so all those different elements were already there. Mm-hmm. They're already part of the subroutine, and then they were like, "Okay, we just need you to input where what you want it to be, what you want it to look like." And apparently, scanned him. Yeah, there's a, a, a the uh, hospitality hologram said it was he took the self scan option and then said it was a mistake. <laughs> so all the holograms are based not just on his physical form, but his neural patterns, mm-hmm. like his memories and experiences they have yeah yeah and all of them either deliberately because either he blocked out the memory or he deleted you know he cut off access to it for the holograms because Mm -hmm. all of them had pieces of the story right but none of them had the whole story story right you know thus i think you know the title of the episode you know broken pieces broken pieces yeah but and there's five of them and she eventually, in her uh, attempt to solve everything, gets all five of them in one room at the same time. And that just cracks me up because <laughs> we have one actor <laughs> playing five different personalities telling the same, roughly the same story <laughs> or parts of the same story. From five, almost five different points of view. Oh, just, I'm just, I admire his work in this episode for sure. So. Uh, that's, what is that? What is that? That's not even a language. Like, <laughs> right, the ant. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but yeah, no, that was a definitely a fun sequence. I found, uh, I found it entertaining. Where were we? Picard doing his like, you know what you need to do, right? Which is you need to do the right thing. Which is we're going to, you know, uh, turn you in as soon as we get... You're going to turn yourself in. Like that. Mm, <laughs> Picard. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, uh, I mean... I mean, and Agnes just, like, nods. She's like, yeah, I understand that. That's... <laughs> it's like she... She did the thing, but she also didn't... Clearly didn't want to do the thing. And clearly did not think it through. No. No, uh, because it's tearing her up, for sure. Uh, but uh, I think they cleared that she was not intending to be a Romulan spy, that she was pulled into this situation by Commodore O. Mm-hmm. And so now they have a name, they have a, a way to trace the origin of everything that's been going on. And Soji helps fill in those details. And... She's filling them in with things she doesn't even realize she knows. Mm-hmm. So she hears something and she's able to fill in parts of the story. I I I've enjoyed the moment. Um, 
where Picard's talking to Admiral Clancy in his course. <laughs> uh, so he's going on and on about how much he needs help because the last time he met with her, she she shut him down. And, and he's like, okay, now I have to beg my case to her again. And um, so he's going on and on. He wants a squadron for support and that they're going to go to Deep Space 12 and... and, and and all this stuff, and then she just tells him to shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was, she just shut him down again, but then said that she is sending folks to meet him at Deep Space 12, so. Here's hoping she's not a double agent. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't get the impression she is, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully you're right. Because uh, having Rios' story and and Rios uh, having to endure what he did with his former captain, I just would Uh, hate to see him have to go through that again. What if like Riker comes in as like the head, you know, the captain of the the admiral or whatever in charge of the squadron? (laughs) She's oh, that's the squadron. Got himself reinstated. Oh, it could be. It could be. Or came off of you know went back to active duty because Mm -hmm. you know I don't know. That's just one of those fanboy dreams. Oh, it makes sense, though, right? Because, you know, do you want to just call in a new character at this point to lead that squadron? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Or it could, who knows, they may pop up with characters from other, you know, uh, Esri Dax or... Mm. Jordy. Jordy or Worf. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of options out there. So we know there's a, either either she's a double agent and there's actually somebody coming to kill him, or she's sending a squadron. <laughs> One or the other. And if she's sending a squadron, then it might be Worf or Jordy. Or but Riker they or... don't end up going to Deep Space Twelve after all they put together all the pieces. So we meet. Let's see the navigation hologram Enoch, who has an Irish accent, because Soji or, or sorry Rafi thinks she's talking to. Chris Rios, she actually calls him Chris, mm-hmm. and then she realizes, oh, well, I'm not talking to Rios, I'm talking to the navigation hologram. So we get to meet him, and he's interesting, uh, but he's he uh, searches the databanks, identifies Soji as Jana, and he's the one that mentions this octanary, which is a planetary system with eight component stars says it's very rare though Romulan history claims that one exists so that's his databank of what he comes up with mm-hmm. the, this is based on what Rafi said that she was seeing drawings of when she was scanning the board cube like there was bunches of people drawing the same pattern mm-hmm. uh and I'm assuming that this means that this is a pattern they probably got from Ramda in the in assimilating her, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, but yeah, so that's the case. But then later on, she gets the engineering hologram, who has a Scottish accent. <laughs> there you go, an engineering hologram with a Scottish accent. That. Gee, who else do we know who is a famous engineer with a Scottish accent? <laughs> he was actually Scottish, though. 
and uh, and his name is Ian, and he's the one that when Rafi says, "What's what are the prob What's the probability of the existence of an octonary?" is saying it's close to nil. So Rafi's thinking, okay, they made this system. This wasn't a mm-hmm. naturally occurring thing that they actually forced it to exist. And they, I'm assuming, being the civilization prior to mm-hmm. the Shotvash? The one, well, whoever created the, the star system mm-hmm. with the planet on it. Yeah. Like, that was the, you know, that was the next steps. I mean, I'm not sure who she, you know, which steps along Rios's holograms. Mm-hmm. But, but the... The, the planetary system that shouldn't exist get mm-hmm. you know somebody made it they made it for the whole purpose of drawing attention to it mm-hmm. so that anybody who could actually get down there and see what they were talking about and understand mm-hmm. it uh would would have this warning of synthetic life wiping out their mm-hmm. civilization mm-hmm. you know unless they're from the future which if you can move <laughs> whole stars into a system so complex that eight planets are basically dancing around each other mm-hmm. then yeah, you may be able to see the future. I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, we don't have the whole story of that civilization. We only have what the Jatvash assumed they saw. All the ones who didn't freak out right. and lose their minds. And, mm-hmm. and who knows, maybe some of them who lost their minds just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe a lot of bit. Yeah. There's a great scene with Soji and Picard talking over a meal. And he tries to get her to stop thinking that she doesn't have a past. And I think that was a a critical thing for him to remind her is that she has a past. It's just not what she thought it was. Mm -hmm. She's, She's not floating out there with no history and no origin. It's just not what she thought it was. And now, you know, she needs to connect to what it was let's find out what it was and when she starts asking about data i just love that conversation Mm -hmm. it was so good because she gets she gets picard to describe data uh he uses the words brave curious gentle um has a child's wisdom unclouded by bias um so or ego. Yeah, or ego, yeah. Um, and the best quote here, uh, he says, Data's capacity for expressing and processing emotion was limited. And then he says, I suppose we have that in common. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that is so perfect. That's so perfect. Uh, yep, absolutely. And I, you could see uh, Soji connecting to that. And that's when she prompted a follow-up question asking that if Data could see Picard uh, with his eyes, um, what would he see? You know, what, how would Data describe Picard, essentially? Mm-hmm. Uh, and after Picard explains that answer, because it sounds like Soji wants to understand whether or not there was a, a love between Picard and Data. Like, mm-hmm. did they love each other as people? And uh, after Picard's answer, Soji just says, he loved you. And I was like, oh, I feel this little tear. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So she's she is uh, amazing as an android because of that uh, that emotion that that connection. She just represents that state of uh, of emotional awareness that you know that soon and others were trying so hard to achieve successfully mm-hmm. uh, without creating another lore <laughs> you know right <laughs> so uh let's see rafi locked herself out of the liquor cabinet that cracked me up mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the hospitality hologram she completely locked herself out uh let's see oh god there's so much going on oh then we get rios pulling out the starfleet locker mm-hmm Talk a little bit about that. What were your thoughts? Oh, I don't know. They just said they had a lot of background in there, you know, mm-hmm. bits and pieces. And but it, it's weird. It's it's uh it's like the story with uh, Riker and I think Admiral Preston mm-hmm. and the the phasing cloak thing that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a moral. You know, you you do what you think you're doing the right thing. It turns out you're not really doing the right thing. Yeah, your chain of command isn't doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're doing what they think is right for the wrong reasons, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And he, that was his story, you know, was, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I can see where that would, I mean, I understand that he got, he gets drummed out of Starfleet basically, but it's like the full story of what happened and his part in it. Mm-hmm. You can understand how that would break somebody of oh, their, God, for real. of their, duty (laughs) well and he even says uh so he looked to this captain vandermeer like a father Mm -hmm. like called him uh his old man you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and so to watch this man essentially be betrayed by starfleet and, and being forced into a position of Doing, you know, carrying out a command that was just so very much not a Starfleet type of situation. What they're supposed to be about. Exactly. Um, Preemptive murder. And then killing himself because he just couldn't live with it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you had to wonder, I mean, I think they still wondered, you know, how much did he understand of what he was doing? You know, uh, or why the order was what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he just carrying it out because the highest security people in Starfleet said to carry it out? Or was he given visions of the admonition at some point? I was wondering that about the, uh, uh, what, Narek? Is mm-hmm. it Narek? Yeah. The, the little brother? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if he's seen visions or... If it's even something that, you know, there's a reason why the Zatvash are all Romulan women. Yeah, yeah. Or part Vulcan women, you know. It's Mm -hmm. like, they may be more powerful than the males. Yeah. Well, and there may be something in their physiology or biology that allows them to endure that admonition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas the males maybe don't. Because you can tell in the way Narek has behaved that his passion, his dedication to what the Jat Vash are trying to do is not as well honed as Rizzo's. Mm. She is passion. 
pure passion toward that goal. And O is pure passion toward that goal. Narek is like, you know, I'm going to do this because I'm dedicated to the cause. But he's not, you know, he has his own will and passion within him that is forcing him to kind of do it his own way, you know, mm. and not listening to them. So, yeah, that's a good question. So there, there's some open questions there of, of the relationship between the Romulans, the Jatvash specifically, and that admonition experience. Uh, it would be interesting to know if, uh, if Narek has seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, you know, once we get that full story... Uh, he identifies the two people that Vandermeer shot as Beautiful Flower and Jana. Mm-hmm. And that paper that he pulls out of his locker is a... Did he say he drew that or someone drew that during um, that dinner that they had? I think he said somebody else drew it, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Like during the diplomatic dinner, which was the what they had really gone out there for was the diplomatic dinner. And then suddenly they got these emergency orders and Rios was forced to dispose the the bodies transporting them out into space and covering it up right after all this stuff so you can see where where his uh <laughs> his break with Starfleet may have come mm. in yeah I mean it completely explains why he feels the way he does about Starfleet why he's skeptical of people in positions of power in Starfleet as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also kind of why he continues to operate on his own. So he's he's still trying to move forward and put this rough past behind him in some way, but he, he hasn't been able to. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of baggage there um, that he needs to, needs to process, needs to get through. The Return of Seven... The re- the return return of seven the return of seven uh, to to help the collective seven essentially becomes the queen. Mm-hmm. Well, they're cut off in. from the collective anyway, so right, right. they already know they can't rejoin the collective collective. Right, right. But they can still link up with the, the people in the cube, which kind of mm-hmm. plays back into that Voyager episode I was talking about mm-hmm. before. Yeah, that they they're still linked to the local net essentially. Mm-hmm. It's just a land system. <laughs> we're not um, we're not connected to the internet, but we've got a nice out, land party going on here. <laughs> which plays out kind of interestingly. Oh wow! So as soon as she reconnects, that's when Rizzo's uh, the idea that one of Rizzo's crew has to release all the drones in the space. I don't think it was just an idea that he had. I mean, I don't think it was some random fix. I mean, I figure if they've been there for, you know, what, 14, 16 years without oh, they've, an assimilation, they've, that they've protocol been thinking is, about it, yeah. There's a reason why it was like two buttons on the computer. <laughs> this is true. This is true. You know, the arm and fire button. Uh-huh. Because they already knew the concept of, okay, if this, core, if, if this Borg cube starts waking up, We need to have an option. I feel so bad for Seven here because as soon as she reconnects, she has to experience that. All of them dying. All of them Essentially. Although they can breathe in space. That's the the only question I'm like, wait a second, but Borg can survive in space. Yeah, I'm wondering what's going to be the aftermath of that. If that's going to play in somehow. Hundreds of Borg 
clone, uh, Borg drones floating out there in space where the cube is. So. But she sealed that that cube, which is why you know why that was their measure to fight back is that as soon as she connected, they started sealing off the cube. Mm-hmm. And you got to see that wonderful effect. The special effect of the cube rebuilding itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. But you have to wonder, I, I don't know, you may know this better than I do, the, the physics and science behind the way Borg cubes are designed, but there's only so much material in a Borg cube. So. Space magic. <laughs> so how much... How much are they moving materials from one side, one part of the cube to another? Space magic, man. Of course, we all always know they have a pit of death somewhere. So right, every they, starship, they every starship in Star Trek has to have a pit of <laughs> a death. Pit of death. That's <laughs> the Borg cube is like one big, huge pit of death, like pit the whole thing. But the, but uh, it But the uh, no, I, I, I imagine. It, I don't know if I had to try to imagine it to try to rationalize it through geeky trekky science type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Borg technology is really advanced anyway, mm-hmm. right? They have transwarp conduits, which we yeah. will get into, I think. Oh yeah. Soon. But the uh, I, I think about when they laid the minefield across mm. the wormhole in Deep Space Nine. Right, right. They used a technology called self-replicating mines, where uh, each mine. You know, it had the explosive and the sensor system, but it also had a tiny little piece of the raw matter storage that they use for replicators. Oh, that's right. So that's and like so, many replicators. So there isn't, each mine doesn't carry enough mass to replicate itself, mm-hmm. but it's carrying, still compare, carrying a very compressed matter package, basically, mm-hmm. that can be turned into other matter mm-hmm. with the replicators. And in the case of the mines, if one of them blows up, all the rest of the mines combined in mm-hmm. sort of a bucket brigade kind of a system <laughs> have enough mass to replicate a replacement mine. Right, right. At least up to a certain point. So you know, at some seal... point, they're going to overwhelm the system. Yeah. They can seal a, a spot that's not covered. And yeah. So like I just that. wonder if maybe that's part of the Borg system. They've got, you know, matter, yeah. matter storage tanks and replicators. It would make sense. But it more like more sense. like you know 3D printers, but the whole ship is a 3D printer that can print itself. <laughs> and, and no doubt they've assimilated enough knowledge from across the universe to uh, to be able to incorporate you know those tech pieces of technology into what they do. Well, I do wonder about that too because there was the a character and see now we're just getting way off into the the, the what ifs <laughs> because of it. Star Trek lore but let's do it uh I, i'm, I'm arcturus i think his name was mm. but it was a you know he was that creepy guy from twin peaks <laughs> uh, and he was a bad guy in robocop he's he's a bad guy anyway he uh uh th- that whole slipstream drive thing mm-hmm. the, the, where it was a fake ship they used particle synthesis and rep like replication and particle synthesis to create this fake ship mm-hmm but his race had been assimilated by the Borg, which meant the Borg had that technology. Maybe not the whole collective. Who knows? But I'm just saying. So, so rebuilding cubes and, and I don't know. I don't even want to try to think too far on how, <laughs> how far that can go. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Um, 
you know, we, we spend a lot of time in the episode just learning information, little bits of it, and then piecing it together like it's a big mystery story. And then when everyone in the crew sits down together, essentially at the end of the episode, all the pieces fall in place. Um, you know, Soji hears Agnes explaining the concept of the the admonition and the visions that she had and, and is able to complete her thought, uh, saying it's the coming of Seb Cheneb, the destroyer, me. And Soji didn't even realize until that moment that's uh that's why she was called the destroyer mm-hmm. uh, she's she was you know in that conversation that agnes had triggered to remember that piece of information and i have to wonder if the process that Narek went through with soji to allow her to be self-aware has allowed her to to operate or, or to interact with people differently than Dodge could have. Mm-hmm. You know, it could have been that in Dodge's case, she would have automatically triggered to respond in that defensive. Which know, is what we way. saw. I mean, that's how right. it kind of whereas, played out. Whereas Soji started to become more self-aware gradually. And now as she gets those new pieces of information, she can just simply access those parts of her mind <laughs> for lack of a better word for it mm-hmm. uh, and memories uh, to be able to fill in the details. And so it was a bit of a blessing that Narek had taken her through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and also it, it seems like the, the implication, and maybe it was directly stated and I missed it, but the you know mm-hmm. strong implication that the Zatvash were behind the Zatvash. Yeah. Were behind the attack on Mars. Okay. Yeah. It by much... hacking the androids, by hacking the synths. Right. Like right. it's like a black, like a false flag operation, essentially. Mm-hmm. They hacked the synths to. She found a way to make it look like it was the synths. Mm hmm. Uh, and to set it up so that the emotional response was so profound that Starfleet would give in to its fear. Right. Yeah. And that's what Picard was telling Rios a little later, later, you know, in comfort is, you know, Starfleet uh, betrayed itself long before the moment that Vandermeer did what he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it was giving into his fear long before that. Uh, It was a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, O may have been a big part of that. Yes. And the Jacques Vosch's, Work in secret certainly was a big part of that. But for Starfleet to allow itself to become that vulnerable was kind of their own doing as well. According to Picard. Mm-hmm. At least what Picard's perspective there. So it's interesting that Soji, you know, when she hears the name Beautiful Flower, it immediately says that the other person was Janna. Mm-hmm. Like, so she knows who these two people are. Immediately. Yeah, hopefully, maybe maybe that's what will be answered in the next few episodes. Because it's like, where is she getting her memories from? And I think she calls calls them her brother and sister. Mm-hmm. So um, she's just suddenly flies into the I've got to get home mode and remembers things <laughs> that she didn't know that she knew. Oh yeah. 
Like how to steal the ship <laughs> or try to, how to try to steal the ship. She knew how to sh- steal the ship and she knew where all the Borg transwarp conduits were. Yeah. Uh, and where the nearest <coughs> one was that would take her to the planetary system she needed to get to. But Rio stops her right there and he's like, um, do you also know that you need to do these other things to kind of protect the ship while you're going through a transwarp conduit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a reason why no, there's a reason why very few people have that technology. <laughs> it's because it'd be like, where's where's uh, Johnny was working on his new motor? Well, where's Johnny? Somewhere between here and Alpha Centauri. Maybe a lot of different somewheres between here and Alpha Centauri. We don't know. We don't know. It was Uh, a flash and a boom. That's all we know. So Soji gives in and asks Rios to take her home for Jana's sake. Uh, So she pushes the right buttons with Rios because she knows that Rios is still hung up about Jana. Um... And so she points out the node, and he lays in the course and takes him there. Somewhere around this same time, we see the uh, the the connection that Rios makes between and and help. See if you can help me fill in the details here. The the Zephram Cochran warp drive moment mm-hmm. in time that mm-hmm. changed human history essentially. And the moment that they, that the Jat Vash have been looking for in the form of the destroyer, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of signaling that moment where things are going to start changing, where, where hell uh, breaks loose or whatever. <laughs> well, the comparison to, to Zephram Cochran would be, mm-hmm. it was the, mo- that was the, the day when humanity learned that they were not alone. Exactly. Right. That, right. you know, here we were trying, you know, this this one crazy idiot was like, hey, I can get a ship to go faster than the light. And everybody's like, we've got other problems. Mm-hmm. We've got other problems, Zeph. Come on, man. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm going to do it. Ah, fine. Go do your thing. We got, mm-hmm. We're going to try to grow some vegetables and repopulate the planet after a nuclear war. <laughs> right. <laughs> But then he does it, and him doing it is like a big beacon to some passing, you know, the passing Vulcans, and yeah. then they land. And now all of a sudden it's like, they're like, listen, we, we recognize that you guys are building really big, crazy engines now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just thought you might want some help. And the Vulcans had been looking on in, on Earth long before that. Right, but up until the point where they were capable of, where the humans were capable of leaving their planet. Like, think about that. It's like, yeah, they're, yes, they're primitive little, very well-armed monkey children that have done really (laughs) well at killing each other for no good reason when they Mm -hmm. could. If they hadn't been as mean and aggressive as they are, they probably would have gotten into space 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. Thank God they can't get into space. Wait, they what? (laughs) What just happened? Oh, they broke the warp barrier. Oh, boy. Uh, I think we should... uh... We might need to get down there. (laughs) That was the foundations of the Prime Directive, though. Yeah. How the Vulcans had approached that. Well, because think about it this way, though. It's like the instant you can break the warp barrier, Mm -hmm. you can now disrupt the commerce, trade, travel, lives 
of other species in the galaxy yep. that already know how to do that. Because mm-hmm. you might accidentally blow up a warp bomb that makes your, <laughs> your system, you know, a crack in the space-time continuum, you know, who knows. And it's like, once you have that power, it's like, mm-hmm. we might need to hold, we might need to go hold their hand now because they're primitive little crazy monkey boys. And it guns. made sense then to compare it to, uh, to compare that moment in human history and in galactic universe level history with the realization that that civilization had come to the, the point that they had come to. Like once they crossed sense. that point. Yeah. Like once you've they crossed that point, you can't, yeah. you can't unring the bell. Right. Like that's the, right. You can't unlight the fire. Mm-hmm. And now here's the thing that I'm wondering, though, is that this this civilization, because obviously people have mental breakdowns with these visions and everything. So it's not like they spent like, you know, two years in a meditation studying the visions in one big gulp. You know, they get zapped with this thing like here's the horror show. Right. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that there might be some interpretations that are built entirely on people's fear reactions to that vision. Mm hmm. Because it seemed like there might have been images of data in some of the pictures. Yes. So is it's like, is this actually like precognition? Mm-hmm. Or is it being shaped by their memories and visions as well? Right, right. But also, what if they're misinterpreting? And like, what if the destroyer is not the synth? What if it's more like once synthetic life has hit this point? Mm-hmm. Like that there's something who knows, buried in the moons <laughs> that mm. that will recognize that they've hit this point right. and then it'll pop up and wipe out everything. Yeah, and, I, you know... It's I, like, yep, I the monkeys are making robots again. We need to just go ahead and burn the whole forest down. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, to make a Star Wars reference, you know, Yoda talking about a prophecy being misinterpreted. Mm. Um, maybe they're misinterpreting it. It's like, what if Sochi isn't the the destroyer? Sochi is what summons the destroyer. And mm-hmm. the destroyer is something like, I mean, come on. Maybe it's Picard. Because, I mean, you got planet killers out there in mm-hmm. the universe. You got Q Continuum. You got yeah. uh, a, a, a civilization that built that giant Dyson sphere that Scotty <laughs> crashed on. Yeah. You know, so there are still apparently some very, very powerful, very, very advanced civilizations out there that mm-hmm. still haven't. Well, I mean, even with like what the 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 was it the Takan Empire, the ones that had the 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 spatial the whoever built the uh, the Guardian of Time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were the, the the transporters that that could get from planetary system to planetary system. Mm-hmm. You know, planet. You know, so you could invade a planet just by walking through a door. We need travelers in this series. I, the Iconians, the Iconian gateways. Uh, yeah. Because that yeah. played in, you know, that played into Deep Space Nine pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. It was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so obviously these these races existed out there. So yeah. we know somebody had the ability to apparently pull eight stars into a system and create <laughs> a orbital lineup for them and keep it under control. Mm-hmm. You know, so very powerful. I mean, if you yeah. can you can transport a a star through warp or across the galaxy, then you you know obviously you're pretty powerful. Quite. So maybe they've just got like you know everything in the universe is a bomb. If if anybody <laughs> builds super smart robots again, all the whole universe is just going to light on fire. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just my mm. imagination running wild. 
Well, I mean, there's so... This is just so packed. Oh, I also thought it was beautiful that when Soji is trying to ask uh, Agnes Girardi if she sees her as a person. Yes. Because Girardi is just so emotionally overwhelmed. She's full of joy. You can just see the pure joy as she asks silly questions like... You get thirsty? <laughs> Do you get hungry? <laughs> you know, and think little things. It's just, oh, and it's just this pure joy, almost like, you know, a, a parent who um, didn't get a chance to see her child grow up, mm-hmm. who's seeing the child for the first time. And I, I think that's how she feels connected to Soji, is through you know, the work that Bruce had done and the work that they were both so passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Gerardi says, I'm, I would never do that when, when asked, are you going to kill me too? You know, she, I, she would never do that. Now that I've met you, I can never do that. I mean, you know, it's, I could yeah. do it to somebody who I was sleeping with, who was a mentor of mine, who was really just like the one of the most influential people in my whole life, actually. Mm. Yeah, sure, I could, I could do that to them. But to you, who I've never met and have these horrible visions, or you're going to bring doom to the universe again? I could never do that. To that you. is a good question. I mean, she might be, who knows? Yeah. She might be a sleeper agent. I still, I, I mean, we already know she was an agent. Yeah, an unwitting asset. Uh, yeah, I, I think I don't think they call that an agent. I think they call that an asset. Well, the, somebody who's doing your her, bidding. But what she put herself through though to get rid of that tracker. You know, I, it's hard to hard to know, hard to think that she's still trying to work for them. You know. Well, but we also don't know that it, her solution worked entirely. Well, because of the way it ended. Yeah. Because when they got to the transwarp conduit, we see them go in, uh, which was a beautiful moment of Soji pulling that compass out mm-hmm. that Kestra had given her, and it point actually pointing to the <laughs> to the transwarp conduit. That was kind of neat. Uh, but as soon as they go in, we see an uncloaked a ship uncloak and go in after them. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Narek's ship. It could be Narek's ship. It could be Narek's ship. There were other ships of that type on the cube, though, so who knows? It could be Seven and Elnor. Seven and Elnor, possibly. Or it could, it's probably, it's probably Narek, though. Yeah, it's... mm -hmm. We haven't seen enough of him in, like, we've only seen bits (laughs) and pieces of him in, like, two or three episodes. Mm -hmm. We've seen his sister just put on her active bitch face. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Like... No, this is not. This is not resting, bitch face. This is <laughs> active. This is flexing my guns in your face, bitch uh, face. Oh, Rizzo, that was a really wonderful casting for that. She's, uh, she's amazing. Merciless. That was yeah. She's she's uh, like shoot your whole family and then have a sandwich kind of merciless. <laughs> Just well, it's funny because twice near the beginning of the episode, she says to Ramda that they've got work to do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the episode, when Seven disconnects from the cube, uh, right before that, she says, Annika still has work to do. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of a parallel there. Yeah, so Annika, as, you know, Seven's individual identity, 
apparently has some work to do to protect the collective acting as an individual. Well, and once again, I still feel like we need to remember that this is not the Borg collective. Right. It's the Cubes collective. Right, right. Now, whether, who knows, maybe the Borg, you know, oh, you fired up the, <laughs> you fired up the Queen's Chamber. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. That sends out a little beacon that lets the Borg know that your cube is rebooting. Yeah. And uh, they might send ships to see what that's all about. <laughs> Well, that's kind of where we left them. I, I love that Elnor asks, are you going to assimilate me now? <laughs> Again, that 12-year-old mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you going to assimilate me now? Yep. <laughs> I, I think he was fully prepared <laughs> for that. He well, knew the risks. Uh, I wonder what that says about that whole, you know, the Voyager ending where they disrupted the Queen and destroyed the Transwarp hub. Mm. It's like, have they rebuilt it? Is the queen still around? Is she always mm-hmm. backed up? Is it really impossible to kill the queen? You know, just all that. Yeah, yeah. Or did they destroy the transwarp hub and now the conduits are still there, but now they're having to rebuild hubs? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of geek questions to ask. Yeah. But as far as the show is going, it's like, it's like they've they've shown us all the pieces. It's like they, they've put all the pieces on the board, you know? Mm-hmm. We've had a few pawns disappear, and we've had, you know, a few pieces get... Well, why are they doing that? But now it's like the end game. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have two more episodes in this first season. We already know it's going to go beyond season one, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of cliffhanger they leave us with mm-hmm. uh, at the end of this season. But um, Or there's... will it be a cliffhanger? Will uh, as... it be... For the sheer amount of stuff that they're covering per episode, even though there's only two episodes left, there's a lot they could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot they probably will do. They've opened up a lot of potential venues, a lot of potential story arcs, oh, a lot yeah. of storylines to be followed. I want to know where the Q continuum is. Um, <laughs> Bring well, me they, some John Delancey. <laughs> that's, another, that's another one of those... Uh, Voyager references was mm-hmm. the, the the Q Civil War. That's right. Yeah. So I, yeah, we don't know. We don't know where the Q ended up after that. I mean, they had such a strong bond with Picard from the very beginning. I mean that that was essentially how we opened the Next Generation was uh, Q with yeah. with Q. So um, the, I would love to see that because that was my absolutely favorite part of uh of the next generation in terms of the adventures they had was the q episodes and q did introduce them to the borg yep ah i don't know we'll see we will see my guess they're gonna give us uh the uh, episode nine is gonna be a major cliffhanger Mm -hmm. episode 10 is gonna resolve the cliffhanger we're gonna tie up a few threads but all these other threads that they've pulled will start you know yeah. We'll still be left behind. There's gonna know. be some open questions. Like they're not gonna to like they're not gonna kill answer. all the bad guys and they're not gonna answer all the questions and solve all mm-hmm. the problems and at the end of the episode, you know, love me, love mm. me, say that you love me. <laughs> you know they're not gonna do that to us. They're gonna We have a small crew of people who have put together enough of the pieces to know that O is Jacques Vosh, that her position in Starfleet makes it almost impossible for them to take action to resolve that situation. So I'll be interested to see 
what kind of uh, connections Picard's able to to use mm-hmm. to call O on what's been going on to have her displaced and and whether or not that's going to go successfully are we going to see a starfleet civil war hmm. where people who follow o and uh starfleet security kind of create a, a faction of their own to protect themselves which has know. happened before in yeah. deep space nine with the uh admiral hansen with it? i can't remember i'd have to i don't remember but yeah the one where they they faked the founder attack Mm. on earth in order mm-hmm. to get earth to tighten up its security and yep. it's yep. essentially try to declare martial law this is very similar in nature because of the fact that the attack on mars uh the the supposed origin of the attack on mars was you know faked mm-hmm. um, so well thanks for joining me yet again <laughs> We Androids got... can't jet fuel titanium hulls. <laughs> Thanks, sister. Red versus blue reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes. And God, I just, I love talking these things out, but now I'm finding myself having to watch the episodes twice just to, to process what I've seen. Before we even talk about it, it's just so much stuff going on. Well, yeah. And that's one of the things I've actually, I've actually really thought about with the, especially this past episode was Mm -hmm. that, you know, the first few episodes, like, like every episode gives us fan service. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit. Every episode, you know, from the beginning has been set up to give us fan service Mm -hmm. or introduce us to characters. Um, But at the same time, you could watch it from the beginning and still get the story. Right. Now, the fact that they're writing this pretty convoluted, crazy story, I mean, not convoluted, but I mean, you know, when the pieces are all there, complex. it's like, it's, it's complex, yeah. it's not convoluted, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's like when the pieces are there and you know all the characters that they've just spent the last eight episodes introducing you mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. the the fan service history stuff is just, you know, gravy on the icing on the cake, but there's already... <laughs> gravy on cake? Cake gravy. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's more, okay? It's the sprinkles. Yes. It's the sprinkles and the balloon with the, you know, the the my, the, the, the shininess. Yes. The shiny balloon. It's it's just, because they have sort of told this now, what we're slowly piecing together as this mystery to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like layered mysteries, because you have miniature mysteries to answer a few questions, but then you have the big picture mm-hmm. that you're trying to fill the details in. Right. It's like, oh, it's awesome to, to know that the, the auntie that got assimilated was the one who broke the cube. Mm-hmm. But to know the, the Easter eggs sort of things there, the relationship with Hugh, mm-hmm. the backstory, it's like, you know, it adds precedent to the story. Yeah. So it's like if you've seen, if you've never seen any of it, you could follow enough of it and know that, oh, she broke the cube. Yeah. But if you know the more of the back history and the lore, it's like, oh... Well, just like Hugh broke his cube and just mm-hmm. like that cube got broken, you know, uh, Voyager. Mm-hmm. You know. Apparently Romulans are good at breaking board cubes. <laughs> Go Romulans. I do love some Romulans. So anyway, yes. Sorry. I didn't yeah. No, this is great. I I have a feeling that our the last two episodes are going to result in some long podcasts. This one's already uh, an hour 15. So... 
this is uh, exciting that hmm. there's so much to cover uh, right now. I'm just two more of these, and then then we can rest for a year and, and contemplate what's going to be ahead of us for sure. A Picard Mandalorian crossover. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's get on that, CBS, uh. Disney. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Gen X Replays After the Show podcast. Look for another episode coming this week with Eric Horowitz returning to talk Episode 4 of Season 7 in Star Wars The Clone Wars. And next week, Hoot and I will be back to talk Episode 9 of Star Trek Picard. Currently, we host on Anchor.fm and aggregate to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, let others know where to find us so we can keep boosting the signal on this podcast. On the socials, you can follow me on Twitter at Jedi Jacori and on YouTube at Jacori. That's J-I-C-O-R-I. Until next episode, be safe out there.